Welcome to the Stories Are Soul Food podcast, presented by Cannonball Books, the kids' fiction imprint of Cannon Press. Let's do it. Episode 56. Episode 56. L-V-I. The Christmas episode. We are here to talk to you about Christmas. We have rumbled through Advent a little bit. Advent not being real big church calendar people. Advent not being a penitential season. Advent being a season in which we eat lots of chocolate. Extra chocolate. Extras on the chocolate and the eggnog with the bourbon in it. Mm -hmm. There's no point in eggnog without the bourbon in it. I have to object, but I understand that it's weird. What What on earth are you talking about? I know, it's weird. That's weird. I like eggnog. You like the eggnog without the bourbon? I like it both. I'll have eggnog anytime. You're basically just drinking liquid pie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Liquid custard something. Yeah. That's like a weird thing. you went and bought the worst ice cream in the grocery store and just let it melt. Yeah, there may be a sense like in Like French which... custard ice cream. Just let it melt and drink it. That's kind of if the you, eggnog. I kind of think of it as if you squeezed out French toast before cooking it and then drank that. <laughs> that's that's... <what> <laughs> That's fair. Uh, that's, I'll, that's, I'll, as long as you. That's what I do. As long as you acknowledge that that's what it is. <laughs> I, I do sort of the light, the light buffalo trace in there with, uh, with a little bit of the nog. I can only handle a little bit of it. It's, it's really the only way I drink whiskey with rocks, but it's with yeah. the nog. But even then, I'm like, am I drinking pudding? <laughs> it's, so, <laughs> it's so thick. It's so strange. Anyway, we're not talking about eggnog, but we are talking about Christmas. The Christmas story specifically yeah uh and how to read the christmas story uh, with your family say, i think yeah, we just yourself say, and your family let's let's back it up yes with yourself <laughs> as brian <laughs> says you should read the christmas story with yourself i think we're done i think we're done here <laughs> a little glass of eggnog uh you should read the christmas story with yourself uh Let's talk about the scale of the Christmas story first. And this is one of those things. We've had a, a number of comments and questions. People say things about the Bible, the Bible references and Bible stories that we talk about or that we reference here. And the Christmas story, it should be said, starts long, long, long before Christmas, way back. You're right. So way, way back in the garden. Oh, that far back. That far back, the Christmas story starts. Okay. (laughs) So you should know that the entire Bible is about the Christmas story. Read all of it as if you're reading background and build up to the Christmas story, because you are. Yeah. And the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, Christmas story. Like, yeah. This is it. When God creates stars. Yeah. You're looking forward <laughs> yeah. to that one star. There are stars. Here, there we go. We have tension. We have the different sides set at the outset with the fall and the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. We need the God man. We need the man who's going to come, born of a woman, to crush the serpent's head and bruise his heel. We've got all these promises. We've got the promise of the restoration. The restoration to what? Well, out of death. You know, yeah. the one the Back. one who's Back to the garden. Back to the garden. He's going to restore the garden, but also rescue mankind from death, from the curse of death. So, like, the stage is set there, and then you watch the long struggle, the long wait, the long advent, if you will. It's like all, yeah. the, all the way through the whole thing. 
And you get all these weird, all these weird bits, these different arcs and revolutions that are like season finales. If you're watching a, an extended show that was called Christmas and it had these different seasons, it would start in the garden and yeah. you would have Noah and you would have the spirits that send in the time of Noah. And you have, remember that there was a promise of God men and remember that there is a promise of, that there would be one who came, who restored the human race. And then you have all these mighty men. You have all the sons of God looking on the daughters of men. You have all this story. And remember that whatever that was, we could have a great big giant fight about this, uh, pun intended. But know that there was like a, a hijacking, an attempt at hijacking the image of God and the human race going on there. And know that whatever your theory is about what was happening in Genesis 6, if you happen to be one of the people who think it was the sons of Seth marrying the uh, daughters of Cain, then you're not paying attention to the narrative. But if you haven't, that's just a side note, a little trash talking there. But if you happen to think that, then you have to explain why it was so bad that God had to flood the entire planet and reset. Like, why is it a reset? So you start back in the garden and you have the, uh, the need for a God-man, the one who's going to come crush a serpent's head. And then you have the sons and daughters of Adam, Adam and Eve being deceived, seduced, and taken advantage of by the sons of God who looked on the daughters of men. And they gave birth to mighty men, men of renown, and they all needed to be annihilated completely. Uh, and we jump forward, hopping, hopping, you know, to the New Testament. And we have Christ announcing his victory when he is in Sheol. He announces his victory to the spirits that sinned in the time of Noah. Whatever that fight was around the flood of Noah, it was a fight which Christ finished. Like it was a, it was a brawl that he then closed the loop on. It was not an arbitrary, random little thing, an aside in the Old Testament where it's like, oopsies, God's just going to flood it, kind of start over here. It's like, no, there was a fight that was built on the fight in the garden that ended at the cross and Easter. So, you know, again, tied into Christmas. And you hop forward, forward, you got Abraham. And more he, stars, the promise based, yeah. your offspring are going to look be at as the, many stars, as the stars. More stars. So you got Abraham promised, look at the stars. Can you count them? Like this yeah. isn't like, can you count them? More stars again, uh, your people of the stars, basically. And then he also rescues the uh, cities of the plain, which is funny because they're going to be annihilated later. But he rescues them from giants. Uh, we've got some. We've got some giant references again there. Yeah, the five kings or four kings. Can't yep. remember which side. And then in a hilarious little detail, Abraham uh, ends up tithing. This is a beautiful thing. Tithing, like okay, so this is previous, like prior to any establishment of the Jewish religion at all. We have Abraham tithing to somebody. And to whom does he tithe, Brian? Melchizedek, the king of Peacetown. Yes, Melchizedek, the king of Peacetown, gets a tithe. So apparently Melchizedek is kind of a, a dude. <laughs> like, yeah, he's a, an important person. He's an important personage. And he is a priest. And somebody else we've heard of is a priest in the line of Melchizedek. Melchizedek. Again, not somebody, a Levite. Not a Levite. Not a Levite. Somebody we've heard of. Somebody who came on Christmas, who is prophet, priest, and king, yeah. um, like yeah. is well, he's not a, Lev a Levitical priest. He is a priest in the line of Melchizedek, the one to whom Abraham, yeah. which is to say, all of Israel, 
tithe to because in Abraham is all of Israel. Right. And so we march forward from there and things are getting wilder and wilder. And then we have a really, which is just hop, hop, hop. We already talked about Eli. Last, last week, we talked about the death of Eli and the loss of the ark. Samuel takes over as judge and prophet. Samuel, by the way, was a real piece of work. Yeah. And as a side note, I've got a writer buddy who was pointing out to me and making a case that Hannah loved Samuel. These are the kind of details you pick up when you read scripture like a story. He was known for his mantle. You know, that Samuel's known for his mantle and Hannah made him a mantle every year and brought him and, you know, brought him a new cloak while he was growing up and he was living with Eli and his mom got to see him once a year and brought him a new mantle. And then Samuel is identified by his mantle constantly. Okay. And referred to by his mantle later on when he revokes Saul's anointing and says, you're no longer king. Saul, you know, prostrates himself, grabs Samuel's mantle and rips it. Mm -hmm. Um, Like the mantle is constantly referred to. Then when Samuel is called from the dead by the witch of Endor, he is wearing his mantle. That's a really odd little detail. But is he wearing the mantle his mom made him in the afterlife? That's a funny question. Interesting. We got some. (laughs) But that's that's not related to the Christmas story. Jumping forward. Except it is though, because of the Jesse Jesse tree. Yeah. Right? Right. That's one of my favorite advent things is it's you say we're now naming uh, an entire christmas tradition after a character that your kids don't remember right it's the jesse tree they're like wait who's jesse right oh jesse is the father of david yep. and all of a sudden we're into it so i love that the you know you do the readings to say hey these random characters in the bible aren't random they're all part of the same they're story. all part of and guess what they're all part of the same story what story is that you ask christmas. the christmas, christmas. story They're all part of the Christmas story. The Exodus story is all part of the Christmas story. All of it, all of it is part of the Christmas story. So if we get to the judges, so we've gone through Abraham, we've gone through Exodus, we've had Moses plunked in the river. We've had him, you know, sort of like orphaned and raised by the enemies of God to only come and save. We've had Joseph. We've had all these, we've had all these different stories that are all in pictures of the Messiah, but also more overt, recurring themes, foreshadowing promises, and so on. And then we get into the book of Judges and we start getting to the actual, like the names, the names that will show up, the names like Jesse, mm-hmm. right? The root of Jesse. So we already have, we hit Melchizedek way back at Abraham. Melchizedek is the name that shows up overtly in the Christmas story because Christ is a you know, he's, he's of that priesthood. Right. Oh, uh, which is interesting. Like it's a super interesting line because there's a, there's a massive gap in that story. Yeah. Like, okay. So where's the lineage there? You th- you've never been thinking been the Levites out. are so important. Yeah. But then you're just like, <laughs> and then Paul says, actually key to my argument. Yep. Is Jesus this, is. is this guy Melchizedek. Yeah. You know, the one that Abraham tithed to that you Israel are subordinate to. Right. That you, Israel, tithe to. Anyway, that's awesome. But skipping, skipping, we get to the end of Judges. And this is something my sister pointed out to me because of a project I'm working on right now. And this is exciting and wild and weird. We get to one of the least, the least popular stories in the Bible. Is this the Levite and the concubine? Yes. <laughs> because <laughs> it's part of the Christmas story. Oh, wow. So here we go. Christmas story. Ready? 
all part of the Christmas story. There is a woman of Judah, a concubine of a Levite, who plays the whore. So she plays the whore. She's married to a Levite in, uh, I believe, in Ramah, uh, a city of priests uh, in general. But she plays the whore, and then she bails to her father's house. She bails to her father's house. We're told a specific amount of time. She's not named. She's just unnamed concubine from Judah who has played the whore, and she runs away to her father's house. Where? In Bethlehem. So she flees to Bethlehem. Is Ramah another name for Bethlehem? No. Okay. It's a different, different place. I think it's Ramah. I actually don't remember. I'm trying to remember yeah, where Yeah, because Rachel is. weeping in Ramah, right? Yeah. Okay. That's what um, you're getting. So I think, it's, I think she's coming from Ramah, but I don't remember. I think the Levite lives in Ramah, but I will have to fact check that after I stop recording this. <laughs> <laughs> so she flees and most likely pregnant. She plays the whore and, because we're given a specific amount of time. So she plays the whore. She runs to her father's house in Bethlehem. She's in Bethlehem for four months, and it says she stays in her father's house for four months. So they, this, the story here is kind of a, she probably found out she's pregnant. She can only hide it for so long. Like, she's showing now. It's, mm. it's boogie time. She runs. She runs back to her home. So shamed, pregnant concubine runs to Bethlehem. You have a young woman pregnant fleeing to Bethlehem. It's like, which is, like, what story? Anybody? Anybody? Christmas. Christmas. Christmas story. It's like the Christmas story. She's, a, she's running to Bethlehem pregnant, but it's a different, it's an inverted Mary. She's running with guilt. So she's actually guilty. I guess I don't know that. I need to go reread the story. I didn't know she was guilty. Yeah, she is in fact guilty. She played the whore, and now she's running to her father's house in Bethlehem, David's city. So she shows up there. She's there in her father's house for four months. Eventually, her husband comes. And he pleads with her, like he begs with her. He's trying to soften her heart. He's trying to get her back. They leave. So I would, filling the gaps in here, I think she had a baby. I think that baby is in her father's house in Bethlehem. And then they leave together. They go to a different city. They're traveling back to, I think, Rama. Again, I'll fact check it. They're traveling back to Rama, and they stop off in a little town uh, among the tribe of Benjamin called Gibeah. What's special about Gibeah? Saul hometown of a little gentleman named Saul. So now we're, okay, now we're in the David and Saul narrative. Like, this is weird. And you should start asking yourself, oh, wait, why is this story in the Bible? It's the last story in Judges. Like, it's not random. It's not this random detail with it. Nobody's named. Like, well, but there are names. Bethlehem is named. Gibeah is named. Hmm. Um, Judah and Benjamin are named. She goes to Gibeah where something horrific happens straight out of Sodom. A bunch of Benjamites show up, and they want to rape the Levite, which is, incidentally, uh, a testimony to how rough things were in ancient Israel. Yeah, uh, I mean, and the also theme in is Benjamin. So, every man did is what's right in his own eyes. So, yeah, and yeah. so here's a, here's a priest, here's a Levite, and the, the thing the Benjamites say is, let's rape him. You know, we haven't raped a priest in a while. Uh, wow. You know, here's one. Like, that's bizarre. So, the, in classic lot fashion, the host says, no, no, have my daughters. And they say, I'm not interested. We want the Levite. Uh, the Levite then, having just gotten this concubine out of her father's house in Bethlehem, shoves her out the door. Uh, the crowd has her way, their way with her all night. 
he finds her barely alive uh, in the morning because he's a real piece of work. Yep. Uh, puts her on a donkey and they tr- and travels home. She does not make it. She dies on the donkey. Yeah. He ugh. cuts her into pieces, sends her pieces around the kingdom to get everybody mad. Judah then goes to war with Benjamin and tens of thousands of people are slaughtered, including women and children, babies, the whole thing. It's thousands and thousands. It's this massive blood feud between Benjamin and Judah goes, goes down. Over something, yeah. Over this. Awful. That immediately transitions us to First Samuel. And Samuel starts the kings, and we have Saul of Gibeah. It's bizarre that the first king comes from Gibeah, the place that just tried to gang rape a Levite, did rape to death, you know, this woman of Bethlehem, and provoked this massive war between Judah and Benjamin. And then shortly into Saul's reign, Samuel revokes his anointing and goes to Bethlehem and anoints a young man who says he's an alien among his brothers. And who says, in sin, my mother conceived me hmm. in one of the Psalms, who, when Jesse com- is commanded to bring his sons to Samuel, is not brought. Hmm. And you have this really interesting little loop here of like the question of the question is, is David legitimate at all? Like the question is, is David a son of Jesse in that he's the, the bastard son of one of Jesse's daughters? Is he an illegitimate son of his wife? We don't know, but there's a really, it's really odd crackle in Jesse's house about David that doesn't make any kind of sense at all. Yeah, his brothers hate him. But it's not just his brothers. His brothers are not fond of him. His, his, there's a crackle with Jesse, too. Okay. So if you have, it's not just the Joseph story where older brothers hate the younger brother because dad loves him so much, right? Samuel says, bring me your sons. and. Jesse has three sons who serve in Saul's army, right? All three of them show up. He successfully rounds up Eliab, uh, Abinadab, and Shammah. They make it, even though they're all in military service to Saul. So when, when Samuel says, bring me all your sons, those three who would be the least available hmm. are all brought through. And he goes through all seven, and then he basically turns to Jesse and says, are there no more? And Jesse's like, oh yeah, no, he's super busy with the sheep. Hmm. Like what? Like that hmm. kid, like the rock star, <laughs> like this, this kid is super busy with the sheep. Like you successfully got three of them away from the military and the one with the sheep at your own house you couldn't bring. Uh, Jesse doesn't, Jesse has a problem with David too. Like there's something about David that's shameful. Hmm. And the more successful David is, the, like, the more embarrassing he is. So when David rolls in uh, the David and Goliath story, Eliab jumps on him hard immediately with like a, what are you doing here? Like David's presence is embarrassing. But there's no reason for that because he's A, we're told repeatedly more than any other character in scripture, very good looking. Like David is very good looking. This is a kid who's killed a lion and a bear. So mm-hmm. he's actually pretty impressive. He's also a really good musician, and he's, a, he's like rock star level musician in that when we're way away at court and Saul badly needs a musician, people at court in the king's palace are saying, hey, there's this kid in Judah, in Bethlehem, who's really good. 
Like, mm. how is how do you even know? Like, David has to have played actually like public gigs. He has to have played publicly, and his ability has to be widely known, so widely known that it's known all the way in the court of the king that he's that talented. And yet, his father's ashamed of him and hiding him, um, and his brothers hate him. And so my sisters were asking me, like, do you think that he was the bastard child of the Levite's concubine? Mm. Like, do you think the Levite's concubine was Jesse's daughter? Like, do we think that he's a son of Jesse in that he's a grandson of Jesse, mm. uh, raised in Jesse's house and so on? But we, whatever the answer is, we know that the blood feud between Bethlehem and Gibeah specifically carries over into this, into this David Saul thing. And then we see David doesn't just get the line. He doesn't just get the kingdom. He gets the messianic line. It's the Christmas story. It's the Christmas fight. Hmm. Saul's cut off and Samuel gives David, like he gives David the kingdom. And then later when David even sins grievously, Nathan comes to reassure him that he has not lost the messianic line. And so when Nathan gives him the bad news that you aren't allowed to build the temple, like you're a man of blood, you can't build the temple. He still says, but you know, the house of David, the seed of the house of David will rule forever. Yeah. David's aware that his kingship and the line of Judah is like, is this the messianic line? Is this the line of Christmas? Is this the Christmas line that we're waiting for? And he's told, yes, it is. So if you want to understand the, the dark story of Judah and Tamar, you need to read it in light of Christmas. Ruth and Boaz, Christmas. Rahab and the spies, Christmas. It's like, these are all part of the Christmas story. Rahab is stepping into the Christmas story. She's a, you know, she's an ancestress of the Messiah and Ruth as well. And like, and all the way through. So as we, as you want to understand the Christmas story, you need to read the entire thing of all of it in the light of that Christmas story. So by the time you get to this census, and this angel coming to this teenage girl and saying, you know, hail Mary, basically, this is happening. It's like you have this massive volcano of fulfillment, the fulfillment of Moses and Samson and every hero of the Old Testament, like every one of these messianic promises, every one of these things. This is the fulfillment of Nathan's promise to David. This is the, vic the ultimate victory of David over Saul. This is like this is the top of the Christmas tree. Like you've finally gotten to the top where that star is. So it's it's one of those uh, you know, it's one of those things where we love to just read in isolation. Like there's this cute little, you know, cute little thing. And isn't it sweet? The sweet little teenage girl has the baby who's yeah. gonna pay for our sins. Yeah, that's that's wonderful. But there's so much struggle and massive, I mean, empires swinging, Egypt getting smashed, giants being killed father-in-laws being seduced, you know, old kinsmen being tricked into marrying young, you know, women of, yeah, young women of Moab. <laughs> you know, it's like all these, this, the saga, like the, the saga and the intricacy of this narrative to get to the place where this could happen and this fulfillment could happen is, is phenomenal. And so the, the thing we tend to do in the Christmas story and everything else is euphemize, sugarcoat, and reduce. We don't want any daughters-in-law seducing fathers-in-law to be part of the story, but God did. We don't want whores of 
Jericho to be ornaments on the tree, but they should be. There should absolutely be a crimson cord on your yeah. on your tree. And obviously that connects too with Rachel weeping in Rama and the yeah. death of death of the innocents. It's yep. more more babies and yep. presumably well, yeah. People. And my dad my dad has always said that you should have uh if you have a nativity scene, you should have Roman soldiers in the background or Herod soldiers in the background slaughtering babies. Like because Christmas came with genocide. Yeah. You know, at the same time, they weren't just having a baby in a stable. They were having a baby in a stable while, you know, and on the run and then having to flee into Egypt while everybody under two was getting murdered. Yeah. You know, so based on astrology, <laughs> you know, it's like. Right. So based on, again, stars, back to the stars. So with the, with the yeah. Christmas story, it's like if you, if you just zoom in on three characters and then you expand to include uh, some shepherds and these magi, like, and like oh, usually it's three shepherds and the three magi. And it's like, okay, so now you have Jesus, Joseph, Mary, and you've expanded out to nine total. You're still just, it's such a tiny cast and such a tiny story. And don't be Victorian about how poofy those wings are of the angels. And get the full picture. Know that the, the angelic heavenly hosts came down and sang in the most glorious choral performance of all time to an audience of mostly sheep. Yeah. So if I ever get a minute, I'm 100% doing a Christmas story called The, the Last Christmas Sweater. And okay. it's about the, the lineage of those sheep specifically. And it's about the last sweater made from the wool of the Christmas sheep that heard the heavenly host sing on a Christmas day. Okay. So, because there was a bunch of sheep, a couple of shepherds, a lot of sheep. I would love to see the faces of the sheep when the angels came down and sang. It's like a couple dudes, lots of sheep. <laughs> <laughs> and that's exactly how God does things. It's like, just let's take an, an enormous, glorious concert and just waste it completely. By pointing it at some dumb animals and a couple uneducated guys. Oh. So as far as Christmas goes and every other aspect of the, the entirety of the story and the narrative, read the whole thing. Expand out. Like, don't euphemize and sugarcoat and pretend like it's all sentimentality and, and no blood and no violence and no struggle. So tell the whole story to your kids and start, like Brian said. By uh, reading the whole story yourself. <laughs> Read it with yourself. Huh? Read it with yourself. <laughs> Start by working through it with yourself. And if you're reading a story in the Old Testament and you're thinking, why is this in here? I don't know why this is in I, here yeah. or why this matters. Odds are it probably connects to Christmas. There's a decent chance. So start there. And Merry Christmas. I think that does it. Are yeah, we allowed? That's my Christmas rant. Merry, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Go read the dark stuff in the Old Testament and be glad that Christmas finally got here. Yeah. Amen to that. If you enjoyed this episode, check out Douglas Wilson's book, God Rest You Mary, Why Christmas is the Foundation for Everything. Order today at canonpress.com.